600 Pixels, a podcast that goes below the fold of the World Wide Web to see how professionals in the industry design and build better digital experiences for everyone. I'm Caitlin Studley, Director of Culture at LifeBlue. And my name is Travis Self, front-end developer here at LifeBlue. And today we sit down with Matt Potter, a freelance graphic designer with Matthew Potter Designs. And we're going to talk to him about dark patterns and how to avoid them and things you can do to make sure you don't fall into that trap. Let's give it a listen. Today on the pod, we have Matt Potter with us, who is a freelance graphic designer. That's about all I know about Matt. But Caitlin, you know a lot more because he is your fiance. He is my fiance. Yes. He is a freelance graphic designer. He's a um, freelance fiance. He's a freelance fiance. Ain't that the truth? Uh, and he owns his own company, Matthew Potter Design. And I'm obviously biased, but I think he's a pretty darn good designer. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming out. So have you been at the freelance gig for a year now? Coming up uh, end of September, yeah. End of September, okay, cool. So do you do mostly like, you've done some web stuff. Yeah, I'd say website design is probably like half of what I do, like just percentage of the business-wise. Um, and then the other half is a mixture of like branding, art direction, some print design, kind of whatever people need really. Um, so I've been fortunate. I started off in the business um, in-house at, uh, on a small creative team. And so I got to do kind of a try on a bunch of different hats um and it's actually really paid off because now you know if people need me for something you know i'm able to say yeah i can do that whereas i know like a lot of peers in my industry uh they start to only focus on like one thing like i'm only going to do ux i'm only going to do product design i'm only going to do print or whatever um so no it's i it's i think it's worked out for me pretty well so around here we'd say you're t-shaped we would say that that. Right? i've never heard that what is that what oh that's a whole nother episode i know it is so t-shaped is when you have uh broad knowledge in a lot of things but you have very deep knowledge in one specific area oh i like that yeah so we at life blue we aim to hire t-shaped people so hopefully they have really great knowledge in one specific area but they are broad enough that their expertise can be valuable in many different areas right, in the business the vertical versus the horizontal yeah so that's kind of the approach that we take with with hiring and we find that to be really valuable in in business in general so it sounds like your your design area can be a little bit like that like you have broad knowledge in a bunch of different areas but you probably have maybe more specific expertise and maybe a couple of different and just in yeah, the design think, dis- discipline overall yeah that's probably a good way to describe it all right so today we brought you in uh to talk about dark patterns in design which is something that you've actually uh given a guest lecture at life blue about so you came in and you also have given an ignite talk in mm-hmm. dallas about this so it clearly seems to be something that you're passionate about but maybe for any of our listeners who are not familiar with dark patterns or what they are can you kind of intro us and talk to us a little bit about maybe what they are and maybe even a little bit of the backstory on how you became aware of them or learned about them or became interested and in, and in kind of passionate about them yeah, I mean, uh, so I actually came across them uh, in the middle of a meet- a client meeting. Uh, so we were working on a project. I won't say who the client was, but um, essentially we're, we were working on a website design and the client specifically told us, hey, we want you to do this thing to the user interface because we like they had done user testing and found, hey, we find that like when we don't, you know, when we limit what they can click on and in these certain contexts, I'm trying to be vague here, but, 
um, we, you know, there's, um, we get less, um, we get less people uh, leaving the page. So we're going to do whatever we can to like keep people on this page. And it was essentially like tricking them into like staying on the page. And that really hit me because I, it didn't even occur to me that you would try and like trick your users into doing something that they wouldn't normally do. And then it also was like doubly confounding to me that you think that that's somehow going to lead to like better conversions by tricking your users. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I was really exposed to it. And it woke me up because um, uh, having a client like straight up tell us like you're gonna do this because this is it works um yeah that really kind of opened my eyes to it and i started to read more about dark patterns learn about them um the, i think the way that um they dark patterns really blew up in uh you know in terms of everybody learning about it in the industry was uh, and i feel terrible i forgetting his name but he was a, a web designer who uh, just created a website called Dark Patterns. Uh, I think it was like darkpatterns.com. It looks like that guy's name is Harry Brignall. Thank you. Yes, yeah. Brignall. So uh, uh, in 2010, he created darkpatterns.org. So it was a pattern library with a specific goal of naming and shaming deceptive user, user interfaces. Yeah, I mean, and he's really the one that like termed the, you know, he coined the name. Um, but he, you know, I'm. It, it's been fascinating to follow him. It's been fascinating to read about dark patterns, and now they're now kind of uh, going from this thing that just like UX people talked about to now it's becoming much more mainstream. Um, but I, I think there's been a lot of things that have happened in the last three to four years, where um, I guess longer than that, really, since like maybe twenty. 13 2014 really is when it started to pop up in kind of the public consciousness um with some pretty high profile examples um and and so yeah I, like i'm fascinated by them i think they're fascinating um and so it's uh it, and it's also something i try to use as a yardstick for my own sort of like um you know moral compass when i'm when i'm designing for a user experience and getting a sense of like you know am i taking steps to do what's in the best interest of the user as opposed to just doing it for the purpose of like trying to reach a bottom line. So when has it become, cause you know, when you're doing something to try to urge somebody to take an action, like there is a fine line obviously between like, you know, cause a lot of times we are trying to not trick somebody to do something, but point them in the right direction sure. sometimes. So like, what is a good example of a, a dark pattern, like a really basic uh, example of a dark pattern? Sure. So I like one of the most common ones that I see is um, something where they're um, essentially it's uh, guilting a user into clicking on one button as opposed to another. And usually they're using uh, a combination of factors. Um, one is they'll make the button they want you to click on. They want you to buy the product. They want you to sign up for the newsletter or whatever it is. Um, they'll make that nice and big and, you know, round and uh, approachable. And then they'll shrink the, the other one saying, no, I don't want to do this. They'll make it real small type with like an underline almost as if it's a link. And they'll use some kind of like condescending verbiage about how, uh, you know, if you don't do this, you're a bad person kind of a thing. Um, I've actually seen an example where, where it flat out was like, if you don't do this, you're a bad person, which made me laugh. Oh, it actually laugh. said it. That, yeah, it was like, I forget what it was. It was a sale or something. It was like, no, I'm a bad person. Yeah, I'm actually, you, you see those all the time now because it's almost like, some some of them are being they're trying to be clever and right. you know depending on your on your your customer base whatever some people might think it's kind of funny but yeah sometimes it's just like you're stupid if you don't click this right. button you know? so I did find the one um I a couple of weeks ago I'd clicked on an article and I didn't realize it was like a cosmopolitan.com article 
and I took a screenshot and I was actually able to find it. I was trying to find it today before this conversation. And it says, want to stay on top of all of the ish, the expletive you actually care about? Sign up now. And then the button in blue says, obviously. And the other button says, I'm boring. <laughs> and I was like, that is so aggressive. Yeah, like, I mean, the reason why I love this example is it's one I feel like everybody has run into. It's so ubiquitous. Yeah. And then it's also uh, very... Uh, tame like it's not particularly wide reaching it's also very obvious so you know right away like it's it's very clear like what they're trying to do um it's not very well hidden um but i think one of the reasons why i think this is a good example is um it's a good uh, like if you look at um you know the way that ux and ui designers handle things like this is you know, we're designing buttons to be a certain size so that they're accessible. Um, we want some to be more attention grabbing than others so that we're creating uh, a sense of hierarchy in the page. So, you know, if you have a primary call to action versus some secondary ones, you know, you may do an outline around the one that's secondary and then have a big, bright, colorful one for the one that you want to be as the primary. And that just makes sense because you're helping to create hierarchy in the page. You're instructing users and letting them know like where you want them to go. You're taking them on this journey. Um, so that all makes sense. And and uh, it's all, in my opinion, all perfectly, and I would think users would agree perfectly within like the bounds of what's reasonable. Um, but I think it's when, uh, when they start guilting you and things like that, that's where it sort of kind of crosses the line. And to me, like the biggest thing that sets a dark pattern uh, apart from just other sort of just good UX, UI design principles is um, I, I usually ask two questions. Um, on determining if something's a dark pattern. One, is the nature of the transaction transparent? Like, if what I'm engaging in, is the outcome going to be what I think it is? Mm -hmm. um, and then two, was that lack of transparency, was it designed with intention or accidental? And because if it's designed with intent, and if you answer yes to both those questions, then yes, odds are yes, you're dealing with a dark pattern. I think that's what sets them apart. So I'm trying to think of a, another example. A lot of times you'll see a little checkbox that says sign me up for an email newsletter. Sure. And a lot of times it's pre-checked. Yep. Would you consider that a, a dark pattern? Uh, I think it depends on the severity of it. I mean, I think we certainly can say that those are annoying when it starts to get more insidious is when that checkbox is something like, um, yes, sign me up for 24 issues of this magazine and there it's hidden and things like that. And, and it's going to be a payment or a, right. uh, an additional cost. Or something I mean, like that, I yeah. think we've come to expect newsletters or something like that. Um, I think it tends to just be good practice. I do think there's a certain element of, uh, of dark patterns kind of involved there when you're doing things yeah, like that. Because right. odds are the user is not there to sign up for the newsletter. The user's there to do something else and they're trying to cram that in. You're trying to make, yeah, you're, you're trying to make an assumption for the user. Exactly. You know. um, but I think, I think, yeah, when you start doing more high level decisions that the user wouldn't normally make in an attempt to kind of push them through, um, that's where I'm, I, I think you're square into like the dark pattern territory. So those are some of the maybe less offensive, less uh, intrusive examples. Like they're annoying. It's annoying for Cosmopolitan to shame me and tell me that I'm boring because I don't want their crappy newsletter. But what are some of the more extreme examples of this that maybe we've seen in technology that have 
greater impact on customers, users than just, you know, a, a silly newsletter sign up sure. or something like that? Uh, so I think one of the bigger ones was in 2014. It, it, it's funny, 2014, I don't know why it was around this time. I don't know if technology had just gotten to a certain point or if the ubiquitousness of, um, you know, uh, online, you know, the, the interaction between having a large enough user base with now a, a, uh, enough companies out there that had the money and the funds to start creating like really complex user experiences. Um, but yeah, we, there was a lot of things that happened in 2014, one of which was LinkedIn. Um, they engaged in what was essentially like friend spamming. So what LinkedIn basically did was for new users uh, that were signing up for the, for the uh, to be a part of LinkedIn, they basically tricked users into giving them access into their contact list so that LinkedIn could impersonate them and then spam their friends trying to get them to join. Um, and I... Um, there's another UX, uh, or this was a project manager. Um, his name escapes me, but he um, he tried. He actually documented like how difficult it really was to go through that entire process without giving your information. Mm -hmm. And they tried all kinds of tactics. They tried like um, putting type, like they tried like graying type out that they didn't want you to click on, um, and putting on like a similar color background. They tried um, like literally creating like um, customer journey loops where it was like, even though the user had already said, no, I don't want to do this at some point further down the line, they were looping them back to try and trick them into doing it again. Um, and one of the reasons why that one is so well known is because LinkedIn got hit with a very highly uh, public uh, class action lawsuit for $13 million and they got fined for it. Um, and that one is, I think, impressive, not because of it, it's not the impact wasn't as bad. I mean, that's spam is just spam to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but it certainly was high profile and it was widespread enough um, because so many people use LinkedIn and affected so many people um, that that was, I think, what's so important about that one was understanding like how widespread that one could be. Um, but if you're talking about something more insidious um, and, you know, the implications being more damaging and more wide reaching yeah. um, something like Cambridge Analytica, which we just went through, you know, a couple of years ago, um, which I don't know if you're, I'm sure everybody's heard about it. Um, but just to do like a quick recap, basically um, there was a, um, a British um, political firm consulting firm that worked with um, a psychologist from Cambridge um, to develop an app that basically pulled user profile data from Facebook users. Um, but he did this under the guise of an academic um, uh, like research program. Um, and he did it so that it was not just the users who participated, it was all the users they were connected to as well. Um, so typically in like a process like this, you're gonna have to like get people to sign off. Like if you're going to engage in some kind of like human testing or psychological profile, um, you have to give like informed consent. Yeah. And in this case, they um, th like I think they had around like 270,000 applicants. It was essentially like he created like a personality quiz that he submitted through Facebook. Um, and it was like, hey, I'll pay you a dollar for everybody for each person that like does it. And people are like, sure. So they got around like 270. The problem was it gave access. What they, he wasn't telling them was in addition to the data he was collecting just from the questionnaire, he was also getting access to all the raw data from their user profile. Um, and then it was giving access to all of their friends. So it actually wound up spreading like an epidemic. So even though it was 270,000 
users involved in the study, it actually wound up, they wound up collecting 50 million users' data profiles. Um, and from that, they were able to create um, essentially like personality profiles that were really in depth. So it was not just things like um, age, name, sex, uh, political stance. It was even deeper. So it was um, like how extroverted they were, how likely they would give in to authority. Um, so they were able to craft these like really, um, really in-depth and uh, crafted personality profiles so that they could then start submitting um, ads um, that would appeal to those users based on that information. Um, and that was, that to me is probably the more damaging because as we've known, like it's really put a lot of doubt in our political process and the question, like the place of, um, of, uh, social platforms as, or social media platforms as, you know, are these public, you know, have these become public squares or, but they're privately owned and how that fits. And Zuckerberg and, had to testify on this, right? He did. Yeah. Yeah, they just got fined $5 billion from regulators uh, in that Cambridge Analytica settlement, which for Facebook is a drop in the bucket. Uh, they had prepared for it, and their stock actually went up after the f they That's got fined. That's right. I forgot about because that. Because the investors were like, phew, we prepared for that. Yep. We're good, uh, which is kind of terrifying that it doesn't really seem like that was any kind of consequence for them. Right. Um, well, yeah. and like, there's also what's weird about the dark, like when we talk about dark patterns is they can kind of mesh a lot with this, um, like surveillance state mass surveillance that we're seeing coming from tech. Um, you know, I think it was earlier this month, uh, Apple and, uh, I think it was Amazon and maybe Google. Um, a lot of, uh, data was released where they found out that, um, private contractors were reviewing like hundreds and hundreds of hours of um, recordings, like voice recordings from smart devices. So yeah. um, Apple watches, you know, Alexa's, things like that. Um, but they, it, it was, you know, and we learned, I, like, I think a lot of people have probably heard about that. I, I really dove into it and was learning about it and was really distraught by what I was learning in it. Um, so they caught one sexual encounter on uh, on tape and then even worse they think they caught one sexual assault on tape um and it's yeah i mean and so there's a lot of like overlap with these things i think um so it's, sometimes it can be hard to separate the two um you know i i largely focus on ones that are more from like a ux ui um you know and and don't get me wrong like smart devices certainly have a different type of user interface it's all you know it's voice activated yeah um so they can be a little bit confusing to kind of determine where one is and where the other is, but you know, that's okay. I think it's fine to kind of, you know, as long as they still adhere to that uh, definition of like, is it transparent and is it designed with intent? That's, you know, I think that's where you have to kind of determine if it still falls under that. So if you're playing de devil's advocate, you know, obviously there are some more extreme consequences like Facebook being fined $5 billion. But if I'm cosmopolitan, why should I change my structure of my newsletter pop up, sure. you know, like if I'm a business and this is working, like you talked about that client, if I've done user testing and this is working, why should I change it? And I've worked with UX designers who um, have told me flat out that, Hey, uh, I'll use dark patterns if it gets more revenue, if it gets greater conversions. Um, I get that mindset. That's, I totally understand that. Um, you know, aside from just, 
an ethical perspective, um, I do think, and and we're going to have to wait to see if we can get some data on this just because I don't think it's been tracked well enough at the, up until this point yet, or maybe we just, there hasn't been enough user interactions that have been created yet to be able to track it as easily. But yeah. um, I think the biggest question that I like to, you know, I want to ask companies is what kind of a relationship do you want to have with your users? Um, like I compare it to, to like a car dealership, like do you want your customers or prospective customers to think of you as like the shady used car de- cars dealership with the guy in the plaid pants that he's trying to like convince you to get the clear coat and things like that? With the toupee. Yeah. I'm just like hearkening back to Ralph Breaks the Internet where it's like showing you the seedy side of, you know, the internet, like I the underworld. I that movie. Man. I, it was great. Yeah, I think that's Did like a great... Did they make any jokes about dark patterns? on Because the, there was a lot of internet. Yeah, there, there is because yeah. it's like click... They have like dark ad... They have the ads yeah. that yeah, are like, right. click on this ad. We'll make you, you know, $70. But that, yeah. I mean, that's the question. Like what kind of a... Like if we go back to the car dealership metaphor, like which... What kind of car dealership do you want to be thought of? Do you want to be the shady guy? Or do you want to be like the reputable one that you trust like your kids to like go and get their first car from? Um, and so it, I think to me, it really boils down to trust. Like what kind of relationship do you want to be thought as trusting or, and um, I mean, we've seen brands over and over that are incredibly successful because they're not just creating a product to sell to their customers. They're creating a brand experience that your your customers fall in love with. I mean, I think of ones like, Glossier or J. Crew or Patagonia or you know um, VW but brands that like cu- like customers fall in love with because they there's an identity and a personality and it's all built around this brand experience that they have and when you engage in those dark patterns you're taking what you're detracting from that brand experience and people remember that um, you know they it, it that's gonna hurt a little bit and they're not gonna be as likely to come back so in the short term. Sure, absolutely. It's going to make you money. Long term, it can come back to really bite you in the behind. Yeah. So when you are working with clients and trying to explain these things, like how do you approach design when you are trying to overcome some of these things, whether they might be natural inclinations of like, hey, this is a uh, a reflex, not that you're designing uh, newsletters to make people feel guilty or bad, but I'm sure some of the more specific examples, we don't have time to talk through all of them, but even our teams at LifeFlow have said like, yeah, sometimes it's easy to kind of fall into the trap because so many things have been designed this way with some of these dark patterns that it's easy to kind of fall back on on that or acquiesce to the client sure. and say, okay, yeah, we'll do this. How do you kind of approach, what, what type of mindset do you take at the outset of a project or what does even maybe like educating the client look like on this? Uh, so it's a little bit hard for me to answer just because I, I have, I don't know if I've been fortunate or not, but like now that I've been a freelancer, like I'm now getting to choose the type of projects I want to work on. Um, and I have a greater control over, um, you know, the creative direction of it and, and making, business decisions like those. Um, and I've been fortunate and maybe it's just me that in the last, you know, year I haven't run into that a lot. Um, but I do, I I have a little bit. Um, and, and in those instances, what I typically do is I try to frame it in two ways. One is just highlighting it as a potential ethical issue, um, of saying like, Hey, this is an ethical issue. It's also a legal one and, and making a greater emphasis because I think, 
where you're really going to get across to um, to clients is, you know, their their wallet and letting them know that like, hey, short term, this might, you know, yeah, this might give you uh, short term gains, but it's going to do long term damage to, you know, to your users. And, you know, if you're wanting to build, especially if you're trying to build a brand, um, you know, that's not a great tactic to take. I think, you know, as much as I would love to say, you know, making the moral argument is the one that's going to win them over. I found it's a much easier, argu- you know, argument to win when you, you know, you're tackling it from a financial perspective. And I found that clients are very open to that um, because, you know, that they, you know, they're up against the same limitations that we are. Designers are up against just it's a different context. Um, and so they get it. Um, and, you know, I, I haven't had to pull the plug on a project yet. I've been fortunate about that. Um, but I do think that the other half of that equation is from the beginning, before you even start a project with a client, just, you know, setting your own internal compass um, and, you know, letting your, you know, telling yourself like, hey, I won't go this far, you know, at like setting, uh, setting boundaries for yourself and then stick to those boundaries because those are, it's really easy to say that you'll stick to those when you aren't facing a client. It's really hard when there's thousands of dollars on the line and, you know, um, a project or a client that you don't want to lose. Um, and so I think setting that up front, uh, helps, uh, helps a lot when the, when the rubber really meets the road. Nice. Yeah. I think that that's very accurate, right? When it comes down to it, when you're sitting across from a client, that's really when you'll find out what your values are. If you, if you're able to hold true versus, uh, when you're by yourself. So, well, and I think the other advantage is like now we've actually seen the pendulum swing back the other way. Like we've seen what happens when companies like Facebook or LinkedIn engage in this behavior or Uber. Uber is another great example um, where they were essentially like evading uh, law enforcement officers to try and get around by like tagging them on the app um, as a way to like evade, you know, prosecution. Um, and yeah, like we've seen the damage that happens to those companies. Um, we see the public image that's damaged. We've seen like their bottom line that gets hit. Um, and so I think that's been the the great thing is before we were kind of talking about the hypothetical, but especially when you can point to examples and say like, Hey, this is, you know, this is why you don't do that. Yeah. Um, is definitely helpful. Yeah. Good times, but okay. Well, cool. We are very grateful for all the knowledge that you shared. We're lucky that you were able to share it with our team. So hopefully this podcast will kind of help spread the word to other designers and developers and and teams. So uh, hopefully we can continue the discussion. I'm sure maybe this is a thing we revisit a year from now and kind of see where things are. If there are any further examples, hopefully companies will start to catch on and, and not keep doing this to their users. But until then, we are very grateful that you came and joined us on the podcast to share some of your knowledge with us, and hopefully it can be a cautionary tale for some other designers and devs. So, Matt, where can people find you? Uh, Matthew Potter Design. That's where my portfolio is. It's the best place to reach me. Is that .com, .biz? .com, yeah. That can. Uh, there is one other thing I want to plug real quick. Not yeah. for me. Um, Off Screen Magazine, I highly recommend yeah. um, for folks to read. Um, so it's a magazine, but it's all focused on technology and kind of the direction it's going in. I recently discovered it. Um, but they talk about topics like this and um, they look at it from a designer point of view and, you know, what is the kind of, you know, um, what steps can designers take to, you know, to make a difference? Um, so for, for folks that are interested in this topic, I would definitely recommend that they check it out. 
Awesome. How about Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn? Where where can where else can people find yeah, you it's besides not your website? Though. My stuff is not that interesting. But I mean, uh, if they want to, if they really do want to find me, uh, just look for Matthew Potter Design. That's what all my stuff is uh, tagged as. Are you on Dribble? I am, but I rarely use it anymore. It's so funny. I've actually heard that from a, a few designers on this podcast that they don't really use it that often anymore. I mean, there's I. We, I mean, we can get into the why, but uh, I mean, the biggest thing is like, just for me, uh, there's also a thing of like, are you serving your client's needs or, and I, I to, or are you just trying to get like something that'll look nice for dribble? And to be honest, like I've been trying to focus on, you know, the clients, which um, partly out of necessity when you run your own business, uh, you know, that's what makes it successful. But that's, yeah, honestly, that's, I think been a big, big reason behind the push. That's fair. So MatthewPotterDesign.com, that's going to be that's gonna be where they can find you. Yep, best place to find me. Nice. Okay, well, thank and you for... And re- feel free to reach out and just say hi. I, I love chatting about it. Cool. All right, well, you heard it here. Dark Patterns, Matt Potter Design. Don't do them. Don't do them. That's all for now. We'll catch you guys in two weeks for the next episode. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me.